What is up, fellas? Welcome back to Combos Over Cold Brew. It's me, your host, Emma Abrahamson, back with another episode today. I just tried switching up the intro, and honestly, I think I'm so used to saying the intro how I usually say it that that, that was a challenge for me right there. But I'm excited for today's episode because, again, this is all about talking about nutrition and everything. This time, it's with a registered dietitian that specializes in working with former athletes, which is obviously something that's very applicable to me as a former competitive athlete, now just trying to integrate sport back into my normal life, and also learning how to eat, I guess, as a normal, quote, normal person. And yeah, we answer a ton of questions in this episode all about body image after sport, I guess how to eat as a normal person, what kind of athletes Katie works with, common issues she tends to resolve from former athletes after college during her work, and yeah, a lot more. This episode was really insightful, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Today's episode is brought to you by none other than Green Chef. Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit company that makes eating well, easy, and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. So whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, or you're just looking to eat healthier, there's a range of recipes to suit any kind of diet or preference. Green Chef, as you know, has been one of my long-term sponsors, and you have no idea how excited I get when a Green Chef box gets delivered to my door. Most recently, I had the vegan box delivered to my door, and I made some of the most incredible plant-based meals I've had ever, basically, and I felt like such a chef because I made them myself. Ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped, so you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. And they offer 30 weekly recipe options, so you can switch up your plan too whenever you're ready to try a new way of eating. That way, keeps things interesting, you know, always keeping it fresh in the kitchen. I highly, highly, highly recommend you go check out Green Chef. If you are interested, go to greenchef.com slash coldbrew125 and use code coldbrew125 to get $125 off, including free shipping. That is greenchef.com slash coldbrew125 and use code coldbrew125 to get $125 off, including free shipping. Now let's get straight into today's episode. Katie, I'm excited to have you on. I love a good talk about nutrition. And this one really applies to me since I am a former athlete. So I'm excited to get into the topics that we're going to get into. But to start off the podcast, you want to just give us a little rundown of who you are and what you're about? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Emma. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so I'm Katie Spada. I am a former synchronized swimmer. Um, I competed at the Ohio State University, and now I am a registered dietitian. Um, I really battled food and body image during my career, as I feel like a lot of um, athletes do, and those kind of followed me into retirement. And so now I really focus on helping former athletes heal their relationship with food, overcome body image struggles, um, and just find their best life after sport because there's so much goodness here. So um, that's a little bit about me. So how did you know that you wanted to get into this field? I know you said that you struggled in your own personal time, but was it like before that or how did you get into it? Such a good question. And there's, there's two pieces to it. One of them's pretty deep. I'll just briefly touch on that. Um, one of them is the fact that I struggled so much with 
my food and my body image. And I had conflicting messages coming from coaches and sports dietitians we had access to that I just felt overwhelmed and confused. Um, so I decided to pursue nutrition uh, and become educated myself. Um, the second piece of that and what I do full time is I'm actually a pediatric dietitian in the hospital. Um, and my, my brother is a cancer survivor. So I was able to kind of witness the role nutrition plays medically. Um, so that kind of drove me into both the things I'm doing now in the hospital and then with my business as well. Oh my goodness. So you have, this is like a side hustle then. This is a side hustle for now. I'm hoping yeah. to go full time at some point, but for now it is my, it's my side biz. <laughs> yeah. That's cool though. I I'm so curious because I don't know anything about like becoming a registered dietitian or anything. And I know a lot of people are interested in it. And oh. I know there's a difference between like nutritionist registered dietitian. There's like other ones too. Do you want to kind of give a rundown of, I guess your path and what kind of the differences in terms of those labels are? Absolutely. So the biggest difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist is really licensure and credentialing. So there's no governing body that regulates nutritionists. Um, so anyone can say that they're a nutritionist. For a dietitian, you have to go through under your undergrad um, in a nutrition program, uh, have a 1200 hour credentialed internship experience um, of supervised practice sit for a national board exam. And then starting in 2024, we will also be required to have a master's degree. Um, so there's a lot of education that goes into becoming a dietitian, whereas with a nutritionist and the exception there is certified nutrition specialist. Those do require more um, credentialing, but just general nutritionist, anyone can say they're a nutritionist. So what are your thoughts on people that just claim to be a nutritionist on the internet? <laughs> you know what? I am, I am here for spreading good nutrition information if that's what's happening. Um, but just always be very wary of, of who you're getting your information from because nutrition can be damaging too. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Some of the people asked like where you got your hours from, I guess, because 1200 hours is a lot of hours to have to get. So <laughs> yeah. What'd you do? It is. So I actually was part of a program. So you apply for your internships. Um, it's kind of like, I would liken it to, you know, how doctors do residency programs and they get matched to a program. We have a same matching process. So you apply through a national um, application, you apply to specific schools um, and programs. And then if you're selected by a school or a program, you're matched to them. Um, and there's about a 50% match rate. So I did mine through Henry Ford hospital in Detroit and that's where I got all of my hours. Nice. I can't imagine doing like an internship for 1200 hours. How many days is that? What, what is that? So mine was, it was 10 months and I okay. think mine had some built in extra, extra days, but, um, yeah, it was, and it's unpaid too. I was like, Whoa, this is brutal. <laughs> is it worth it now? Oh Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So worth it. There are so many places that you can take, um, having your registered dietitian credentials. So definitely worth it. I'm curious for you, like what, when would someone come to you to like work with you? So it could be a broad spectrum of things. If someone is struggling, it could be all the way, all the way from, 
um, borderline eating disorder, like really struggling with restriction, maybe binging, purging, that sort of a thing, um, to like you mentioned, like now you're an ex-athlete washed up if you will. Um, and you just want to, you want to just stay healthy and you're confused about now, how do I feel my body post sport? Um, maybe you don't need to carbo load so much, or maybe you're struggling with injuries from your time as an athlete. We can use nutrition to address all of those things. What sport do you see the most people come from? Would you say? Ooh, oh man, I've had such a variety of sports. It's been incredible. Um, I would say for the most part, I tend to attract a lot of swimmers and gymnasts. Um, those tend to be the main ones, but I've also had volleyball, basketball, rowing, soccer. Um, I've even had a thrower like doing, you know, the hammer throw and all of that in track and field. So it's really been a wide variety, but swimming and gymnastics have dominated the most. Why do you think that is? I think the body image piece, although heightened in all sports, might be a little bit more intense being in a leotard and a swimsuit. Um, most of my swimmers and gymnasts do come to me for the disordered eating piece, struggling with calorie counting, obsessively working out, um, you know, feeling very guilty after eating foods. Whereas some of my other athletes are coming to me more from the lines of, I don't really know what to do now, but I know what I'm doing isn't working. So what do I do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I feel like it's the same with running. It's like, if you're running in college, you're usually wearing about the equivalent of a swimsuit. So I mean, it kind of makes sense, I guess, as to why I feel like people share similar things, like similar issues when it comes from like college or even just like high school sports and stuff. I feel like the body image component just like plays a huge part, I guess. How do you, cause you are a registered dietitian. How do you tackle body images specifically with food or is it like mental stuff as well? It, it is a lot of mental stuff. And, and one of the ways that it's connected to nutrition is I always say how you fuel, how you feel about yourself determines how you fuel yourself. Um, and an example I use is, you know, if you're, let's say you're going out to dinner with friends and you guys take a big group photo and then you look at the photo, you don't like what you see, chances are you're going to change your dinner order because you're like, well, shoot. Okay. Instead of getting the burger, now I'm going to get the salad dressing on the side. Right. Um, so how you do feel about yourself directly impacts your food choices. Um, we do a lot of, of identity and self-worth work in my, um, programs. We have to separate our identity from our body, which is so hard as an athlete, because it is so intertwined, you know, quote unquote air quotes here, you look like an athlete, it becomes part of who you are. So we do a lot of work to redefine who, you know, who is Emma, who is Katie, what is, what are our identities outside of our physical appearance, outside of our sports. Um, and something that I'll, I'll work on them with is body neutrality. And if we can't reach this place of body confidence, which can be so challenging to do, just reaching a place of neutrality where you can at least still fuel yourself, respect your body, um, and it doesn't impact your day-to-day -day life. Yeah, that is so true. I think for me, like getting to a point of body neutrality and just not caring, I guess, and not even thinking about my body is where I felt the best. Like I wasn't looking in the mirror every day and being like, oh my goodness, like I just look amazing, you know? But it was more, I just wasn't so concerned. Like I wasn't looking in the mirror and being like, ah, and like staring at myself or like picking at myself, just picking things apart, you know? And I feel like that's the time where I've like felt the best in my life is when I feel that way. And the same thing with intuitive eating. I feel like 
when I really like hone in into intuitive eating is when I like started learning to trust my body. And then it kind of gave me confidence in myself. And then in turn, it also helped improve my body image. Like maybe my body image didn't, or maybe like the way my actual body didn't even change at all, but just how I was treating it really improved my confidence. So I know what you probably talk a lot about intuitive eating. I think I've like, I've looked through your platforms. Is that something that you usually preach to people? Yes. So I do practice from an intuitive eating space. Um, that's kind of the foundation of my nutrition philosophy. Um, and I just think it's, it's so well suited for specifically for former athletes for everyone, but for former athletes, um, because it does require you to get back in tune and in touch with your bodies. And I think that's something that we, we really miss in our athletic careers because we're, we're taught to ignore our body or push through signals it's sending us. Um, and so taking that time and having that space to pause and reconnect can be so empowering. And just like you said, it can really yield confidence in food choices, um, how you feel in your body, how you treat your body. It's, it's really a game changer. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. What age of people do you usually like work with? When do people come to you? I have worked with, it's been interesting. I've worked with people all the way from 18. So like just finished high school sports and choosing not to continue in college all the way up to 38 and 40, where they are several decades retired, but they're still struggling with these things. Um, majority of my clients are, uh, mid to late twenties and early thirties though. Okay. Yeah. That definitely makes a lot of sense. (laughs) I guess I feel like you just hit a point where you're like, okay, I am a normal person now. I feel like you got to hold on to your identity for a a while after your sport is done or whatever, whether or not you're still trying to be like competitive or not. I feel like you just hold on to that identity for a while. And then, I mean, I'm 25 now and it's like, I'm coming to the realization. I'm like, okay, I'm working a lot more. I'm like, not the same schedule that I used to be on. And I like need to find a normal way of living. And I feel like it's taken me until like 24, 25 to kind of realize that. So definitely makes sense. Quick little intermission here to talk about one of my other long-term sponsors, which I love. I love working with them. That is Inside Tracker. This holiday season, the best gifts are personal. And there's nothing more personal than the gift of good health. Whether your loved one runs, bikes, hikes, plays sports, or simply wants to improve their wellness, Inside Tracker is the most personalized way to make sure their body stays in it for the long haul. Gift cards and clothes are impersonal and expected, so why not get your loved ones a gift that is truly special and unique to them? This Black Friday, save $200 on Inside Tracker's Ultimate Plan, the most comprehensive way to get personalized insight into their body's well-being. No two people achieve optimal health the same way. Age, genes, nutrition, and lifestyle all play a part, but no matter who you're shopping for, Inside Tracker's personalized nutrition and performance system provides the most detailed analysis of their biomarker data from blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness tracking. Inside Tracker gives them the power to live a healthier, longer life through concrete, personalized action plans consisting of proven science-backed recommendations. So head to insidetracker.com slash Emma today to save $200 on the Inside Tracker's ultimate plan and enjoy 25% off site-wide to give your loved ones the gift of personalized health. That is insidetracker.com slash Emma. Now let's get back into today's episode. Okay, well, for the majority of this episode, I kind of just want you to answer questions. And first, I have some questions just from a former competitive athlete standpoint. Um, And then we can also go to our listener questions because everyone had a lot to ask about this topic. So for you personally, I just added this one when you were doing your intro. For you personally, did you feel like your problems with like body image and food would go away after you like stopped doing your sport? 
Yes. I remember in the locker room, we always said, um, I can't wait to be a quote unquote normal person where a normal body again, in quotes is acceptable just because the expectation of this body was just so unattainable. And that did not happen. My body image and my eating struggles got worse (laughs) when I retired. Um, so yeah, but I had this thought as soon as I retire, life is going to be fine. I'm not going to struggle anymore. That's literally the same here. I was like, I'm never going to have like think about my body ever again, but it was the same. I think it got worse after college. I don't even know why. Cause then, I mean, I really didn't have like the pressure to, I guess, look a certain way. Cause then you go into normal life, but then it's kind of the structure of your life also gets shut down. So I feel like that has a lot to do with it. Do you yeah. feel like a lot of your clients feel the same way as well? Absolutely. There's so many things that are kind of spiraling when we retire because we don't really just transition gently. It's like you graduate by and you have to figure life out. And so one of the things that we can, we think we can control is our body. And so if we feel like everything else is out of control, we often hone in on trying to control our body. So it really is like a a protective mechanism, a default, if you will, we just have to retrain that default. How, how do you like even start, I guess, learning how to eat as a quote, like normal person? Uh. So good. Such a good question. So basically the first, the first pillar of my program is personalized. So like you mentioned, like your life changes, you're working different hours, your structure looks different. So we start by really looking at what are your priorities now, because that impacts your nutrition. Um, Once we have that established, we move into the getting in touch with hunger cues, fullness cues. And this is where it's pretty much trial and error. Um, I often say, It's just like in our sport, how it took time. We had to try different things, different techniques to figure out what worked best for us. Same thing here. Only now you have, you get to do it in this protective environment where we were working together. Um, So I'll have clients send me pictures. I'll, I will drill down like, okay, how did you feel this minute, this minute? Can you take a bite of this? What do you feel when you take this bite and getting, we almost think about food more before we think about food less um, to learn the signals our body is sending us. So it takes a lot of work, but as soon as you work through that, you've gained these skills that'll carry you through your lifetime. How do you, how long do you think people take to like, I guess, see changes in their overall, I guess, what they think about food, what they think about themselves. Obviously it's going to be different for every person, but I guess in general, if someone just comes out of college and they have no sense of living in like a normal nine to five life, one when do you think it sort of starts to click for them? So I would say if they're just navigating it on their own and, and like for me, for me, it took me a little bit longer, but I usually say, give yourself six to 12 months to really get settled in. Um, my programs are three months long because I say it takes a minimum of three months to start to like get used to how this feels. Um, but give yourself at least six to 12 months to get reacclimated to your new schedule, your new body, um, sleeping patterns, what you like, what you don't like exercise, all of those things. Um, and it it could even take longer. Yeah. Okay. Talking a little bit about exercise. How do you approach movement after sport as well? Because now we don't have this structured two days and doing like going from running when I was like running 50 plus miles a week to doing basically nothing after college. How do you, I guess, approach that? Cause I'm sure that causes a lot of anxiety with your clients as well. Absolutely. And you just said 50 plus miles a week. And I'm tired thinking about that. Um, <laughs> me too. <laughs> How did we used to do what we did? I don't, I don't know. 
Um, so really it comes down to your why for working out. And as long as your why is attached to weight loss or body appearance, it's going to feel like a chore and it's going to be really challenging to ever feel satisfied with the work that you're doing. So my approach to exercise, to movement, like you said, I like to say joyful movement is, um, you know, how is this benefiting me from a health standpoint? And that could be physical health, mental health, you know, uh, any sort of health. And so I know that exercise is good for cardiovascular health, for, um, respiratory health, for circulatory health. So when I'm thinking about doing a workout, that's kind of what I'm thinking. It also really helps me from a stress uh, management standpoint. Um, and so I, I also think about it from that way. I also approach it with a sense of gratitude, like, wow, how incredible is it that my body can do these things? Even if it can't do what it used to do, it's still pretty awesome that my body can move and is functional. Um, and then the, the last piece there is that it doesn't have to be like, I, I took the parameters off of exercise, if you will. It doesn't have to be a certain length of time. It doesn't have to be a certain intensity. It can just be what feels good for my body. And that's good enough, um, which is where a lot of the stress left. Cause before it was, if it's not an hour, if I'm not dripping in sweat, it doesn't feel like I did anything, but really redefining the purpose that movement plays in your life and what counts as movement can be so helpful and alleviate some of that stress. So this is one of my listener questions, but it kind of listener questions, but it kind of ties into that. So a lot of people kind of approach food as fuel. Mm -hmm. So if they're not working out as much, how do you deal with someone who like feels guilty for eating when they're not working out nearly as much as they used to. So one of my favorite things about nutrition is it is a science. Um, and what the science tells us and our human physiology tells us is that we have a total energy expenditure throughout the day that varies day to day, but there are certain blocks that kind of make that up. Um, and exercise like dedicated physical activity is a very small percentage of that. So your body and we can talk about how food is so much more than just fuel as well, but just speaking fuel specifically, your body needs food just to breathe, to walk, to sit up in this chair that I'm sitting in, to move my arms that your listeners can't see, but moving my arms, <laughs> um, just activities of daily living, digesting food. There's a whole breakdown of the thermic effect of food. You need energy for that. So even if you aren't doing a dedicated workout, your body still needs food to function. Um, your brain requires at minimum, there's a little bit of controversy around this in the science field, but what we believe is at minimum 130 grams of carbs a day, which is about nine slices of bread just for your brain to function. That's crazy. Right? <laughs> this is crazy to think about. I don't know any of like the specifics of any of that. I don't know how, I'm not a science person. I don't know how the body works, but it's so fascinating that something like your brain can like needs 130 grams of carbs a day. Yeah. Like and how I, are you burning that much energy? <laughs> right. Just thinking requires so much. And when I, when I got into the medical side of things and I started working with patients with traumatic brain injuries, I saw how much fuel the brain uses for healing. And even if the patient is sedated, but they're, so they're not physically moving their body, but their brain is trying to heal. They have such high energy needs. Um, and that just validated to me, like I'm a healthy walkie talkie human. Even if I don't hit the gym today, like I need to eat. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I guess seeing that probably also just strikes a chord with you. That would definitely impact my way of thinking. I think, just seeing that, I guess, and putting it into perspective. So 
And I think a lot of people probably need to hear that. Probably more people need to hear that in the world because I feel like no one takes that into account really. No one, a lot of people take exercise into account way too much compared to just like living your normal life of how much food you need to eat just to be able to survive. Exactly. And and when you do get really tuned into hunger fullness, which does take time, but when you do, you develop this trust with your body that it knows how much energy you need. So you can trust if you're hungry on a rest day and you can trust your fullness cues. And it takes that fear and that guesswork out of it. That was always the funniest thing is I would be so hungry on rest days in college. I would be literally like, I felt malnourished all day long and I just couldn't stop eating. And I mean, I was assuming that was just because it was like the energy balance. It needed, it had to balance out maybe because I had two hard workouts the day before. And I was like running from class to class and running like suppresses your appetite a lot of the time because it's so hard on the body. But yeah, I, I mean, it's just a nice feeling to know that it's okay to eat on a rest day and not really think twice about it because your body does need that fuel. And it all balances out over time. If you're listening to your body, it's going to tell you what it wants. Exactly. Exactly. And there is physiology to that. You do actually sometimes need more on rest days for repair and recovery than you do on your workout days. Um, yeah, your body is so smart. Yes. Into it, it knows. Okay. So the last question I had personally was how do you, for me, I felt like my hunger level didn't change at all when I was like running versus when I wasn't running, like I was the same amount of hungry when I like took seven months off after college basically. I was also healing my hormones. So maybe that had something to do with it. Like my body was changing a lot, but, um, I guess, how do you deal with someone that has like the same hunger level, I guess, as they were when they were competing, when they're not doing anything like I was. <laughs> so you bring up a great point, which is the hunger or the hormone balance changes that happen specifically with female athletes. That's a huge shift that happens when we retire. Um, but from like a hunger standpoint, things that I would look at are, are we eating foods that are going to help, um, balance our hunger hormones? So are we having like, um, fats, proteins, fibers to help, uh, with those hunger signals, are we really in tune with the nuances of hunger? Because sometimes we don't recognize the small signals of hunger and the small signals of fullness. Are we eating consistently throughout the day? Because if our body's not getting consistent energy, it's going to think it's hungry all the time. Um, and then are we coming out of a period of energy deficiency? Because then we may need to do some nutrition restoration, which in that, in that case, you're, you are going to be more hungry. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think for me, especially in those seven months, I just needed really needed to get my hormones in check that I did not care at all. Honestly, like it didn't really stress me out that I was the same amount of hungry. I was, I did think it was weird sometimes where I was like, why am I like, like, cause I knew people, I guess that had stopped running and everything like, oh, I'm not never hungry anymore. I'm like, could not relate, <laughs> not relate at all. I'm the same amount of hungry. So yeah, I feel like there's just so many things that go into it. And it's like so individual too. You can't compare what you're eating compared to what someone else is eating at any given moment of time. And I learned that quickly in college as well, where I'm just like, I cannot pay attention to what anyone else is eating because the only thing that matters is what I'm eating and how I'm feeling my body for success. So that was a long winded answer or <laughs> reply to that, but it's true. No, you're, you're so right. The, the comparison to what other people eat can be so damaging because we don't know what's going on inside of your body. Only you can feel it. Um, so only you are the one that knows, am I giving it enough or not? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Let's get into some listener questions. Right. So someone asked on the other hand, this, how do you deal with no hunger when not exercising? 
Oh, okay. So what I would suggest there is one, again, getting tuned into the nuances of hunger, because sometimes we don't realize we're hungry because our stomach isn't growling. But if you're having difficulties concentrating, um, if you are feeling lightheaded, or maybe you are um, thinking about food a lot, um, you're having a hard time holding a conversation, these can all be signs of hunger, even if you're not having a stomach that's growling. The second is we're going to utilize practical hunger here, because if you have ignored your hunger for a long period of time, which many athletes have unintentionally because our hunger is blunted when we work out, we have to utilize practical hunger and eat throughout the day to allow our body to feel safe enough to send those hunger cues again. Um, so that's where really working with someone to identify like how often should you be eating? How much should you be eating to allow your body to feel safe and send those hunger cues? That makes a lot of sense. And the difficulty concentrating thing or like being able to focus, it makes sense because the brain uses up yes, a lot of energy. So exactly, it's all, it's all aligning there. <laughs> um, okay. Next question. What is the biggest misconception? Well, I can't talk. What is the biggest misconception about what a healthy diet is in your opinion? Oh, okay. I think the biggest misconception is that processed foods are not healthy. Um, I would say the definition of processed is not understood. Your baby carrots are technically a processed food. Um, and so it doesn't have to be just these like whole intact foods that can make up a quote unquote healthy diet. You can have things like cereals and crackers and pastas and beans and, you know, canned foods. Those can all fit in, um, and can help support and optimize your health. So it doesn't just have to be like a, a whole foods diet to be healthy. What's your least favorite diet fad? Keto. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that one from you, you're being like the brain needs 130 grams of carbs a day. <laughs> Why do you think it's so bad? Just because you don't think, do you think that the body like runs on carbs and everything? Well, it, yeah, it, it does. And then yeah. being, being a pediatric dietitian, um, I learned about the origin of the keto diet, which your listeners may or may not be aware of, but it was created for kids with epilepsy. And the goal with that was to actually slow down or minimize the amount of times the brain was firing. So it's not giving the, the brain energy. So it's not going to fire as much. And that just doesn't sound so that the kids aren't seizing. That just doesn't sound beneficial for a normal walkie talkie human. Um, the other thing is it, it promotes, you know, the overconsumption of anything can be problematic. And so even the overconsumption of things like fats can be problematic. If you have a family history of cardiovascular disease, the risk of stroke, things like that. Um, so yeah. And, and I think it gets, it, it's like the quote unquote sexy diet. You do lose weight fast, but you're not losing fat mass. You're losing water. Um, yeah. Um, is there any food that you would like never eat ever? I'm not a fan of sardines. I think that's about it though. <laughs> Um, octopus is really big and I'm Italian. So it's really big in Italian culture and I rarely eat it, but that might be, those might be the two things that I steer clear of. Yeah. Just because they don't, you don't like the taste. I don't like the taste. Um, oh, actually peas. I'm not a fan of peas. Don't ask me why. Just not my favorite veggie. <laughs> they're an interesting, they're an interesting vegetable. Are they even a vegetable or are they a legume? So they're, they're a, a legume. They're like a starchy vegetable, if you will, you, you count, you can count them in the same category as like potatoes and squash and things like that. Interesting. I haven't had a pea in a hot minute. Maybe I'll have to, you know, grab a bag of frozen peas and 
cook that on the stove. That sounds kind of gross, actually. Never mind. I used to put I used to put peas in my smoothie in college when I was running low on like frozen fruit. I used oh. to add peas to it, and then honestly, it was kind of good. They're not like well, they don't have they have a mild flavor, so add to the consistency of it. Yeah. So I I wouldn't recommend it. Like I wouldn't say go out of your way to add peas to this movie. But if you're running low on frozen fruit, you need something to bulk it up. It's not bad. It's very innovative. Yeah. What can I say? I'm, I was thinking a lot though that <laughs> time period. Um, okay. What are your thoughts on supplements? Supplements are great to do just that supplement. Um, so I always say test, don't guess. If you're looking to supplement for um a lot of people, vitamin D is a great one to supplement, uh, for women of menstruation age, iron might be something that's necessary to supplement. Uh, but you don't necessarily need supplements as much as people might think. Um, they're often over-marketed and they're not FDA regulated. So you do want to make sure you're getting one that's third party regulated. Um, but other than that, they can be great to supplement. I take vitamin D, um, for myself, I'm always getting my iron levels checked just to make sure they're okay and supplementing as needed. Yeah. I also take vitamin D. I lived in Portland for a while. My levels got extremely low. So, okay. Well, next question. Do you have any confidence tips? I know we kind of talked about this a little bit, but do you have any confidence tips for handling body changes after competitive sports? Yes. So the biggest thing that was helpful for me is to remember that one bodies are designed to change the ability for your body to adapt to the different season that you are in is a sign that your body is functioning properly. It's also a a reminder that your body is alive. The moment your body stops changing is the moment we cease to exist. Um, and so a lot of times people will say, I just wish my body would stop changing. And I'm like, well, that's, that's wishing your body would just stop existing. And we don't want that drastic. Is that a drastic comparison? Yes. Um, is that a true comparison though? Also? Yes. Um, the other thing too, is to give yourself the space to mourn your athlete body. Um, I think this is really important because the longer you hang on to it, the harder it's going to be to transition into a place of neutrality or confidence with your new body. Um, and see if you can separate the appearance from the function. So, you know, even if you're struggling with your body's appearance, can you identify ways that your body still functions? My stomach still digests. My brain still thinks my arms allow me to hug people. My legs carry me places, get very basic with gratitude. Um, and that can be helpful. Do you have any, um, tips on how to deal with other people commenting on your changing body? Oof. Okay. First of all, (laughs) Yes. Um, I always like to say that, you know, we, we should never comment on people's bodies because we don't know what's happening. Your body is the least interesting thing about you. And yet our society makes it the most like important thing, which it's not. Um, my favorite line to say, if you're comfortable with it is my body is not a topic of conversation and just leave it like that. Um, or if they do mention something like, oh, I didn't realize you were taking such interest in what my body looked like. You can always make them a little bit uncomfortable for them being like, oh yeah, I guess maybe I shouldn't have commented on that. Um, but you always have the right to say like, Hey, like this is not a topic of conversation. The other thing is to remember if you don't feel comfortable with that confrontation, I obviously don't have a problem with it. I've kind of made it my career (laughs) Tell people to stop commenting on bodies. Um, The other thing that you can do is remind yourself that them commenting on your body is really more of a reflection on how much worth they're putting in their body. 
um, because they have a heightened aware awareness of other people's bodies. So it's probably less about you and more about something that they're dealing with. That makes so much sense and resonates with me a lot. I feel like I learned in college very quickly. I'm like, I don't know. I bet I read it in a book. I might've been intuitive eating or something, but I read that. Yeah. You should like never comment on someone's body or like, if you do, I don't know if you notice people commenting on other people's bodies. I don't know. I just kind of had this realization where I was like, I'm never again going to comment on what someone is, what or how much someone is eating and also what they look like or like anything that they can't change in three seconds, you know, whatever that rule is. And I just find it so important. And also when you do that and you kind of commit to that, of just, I mean, not that I was doing it all the time, but you just see how much it was. Ha- I saw how much it was happening with other people. And I was like, I think everyone needs to make this commitment, mm-hmm. I guess, because oh, you literally, you have no idea what people are going on, what's going on with people internally. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, making that commitment to myself, I think has been really beneficial just to also be more aware of like what other people are saying around me and also like what circles I want to be a part of just yeah. like noticing like how much body and body type and things were being brought up in college. I was like, I don't like this and I don't want to be involved. So yeah, that resonates with me a lot. And I'm sure a lot of people in a lot of different sports also go through that. Like you're, everyone's just so hyper fixated on it when you're at certain levels of sports and it gets exhausting. So (laughs) that was one of the biggest things, honestly, I think I'm like happy graduating from competitive sports is just the fixation on what a body looks like. Yes. And what everyone else is like thinking about what bodies look like. I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) That is the approach we all need to take. Yeah. Yes. Um, it, you're right. It's hard because there is such a, a focus on it. Um, and we have, it's tied to your achievement. Basically it's like, Oh, well, what does your body look like? Do you quote unquote, look like a runner? I hear that a lot from athletes who decide to do, you know, marathons post sport, but I don't look like a runner. It's like, well, you are a runner because you're running, you have a body and you're running. So you're a runner, but that, that, focus is so intense in sport and it's the topic of conversation all the time. And you're right. You don't know what you're actually commenting on. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think I ever want to hear the phrase. I mean, this is so generic. I wouldn't like be triggered out in the public. If I heard the phrase, like you look fit, but if anyone like ever says that to me, I'm like, please never, please never say that to me ever again. Like, I just can't hear it anymore. I don't want that lingo, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to say, especially, well, it has, it has to have context around it. If I do a workout and someone's like, you look fit, like, cause you performed really well. But if someone just looks at me and they say, you look fit. I'm like, don't tell me that. Yes. I'm, I'm exactly. I love that you identified that context because you're right. Fitness is not an appearance. Fitness is a, an, an ability, yeah. it's not your physical appearance, but it is what you can physically do. Exactly. Um, wow. It was like kind of a little rant there. Um, a lot of people struggle with amenorrhea in college or just in their sport and also reds. Do you have any tips on how to recover from that? If someone's going through it? Yeah. So the biggest thing, there are two big things really. Um, and they're probably the hardest things to do. The first is we have to reduce our physical activity so that our body can regenerate its energy stores And the second thing is we have to eat enough to regenerate our energy stores. 
Um, and so those two things combined can be really helpful with, from a bone mineral density standpoint, the energy availability standpoint, which then in turn will hopefully help um, with period restoration. Um, and this could take some time. So I always say like, don't, you know, don't be impatient. Like it'll, it'll happen, but we have to eat enough and we have to rest enough before our body feels safe to, um, regain our cycle. Yeah. So a little bit of context because you probably definitely don't know this, but I had a YouTube channel and everything. And I started my YouTube channel in college, but I didn't get my period until I was 22 or 23, 22. I, so I had never gotten my period. My bone density was fine. Everything was fine. Um, but I took seven months fully, completely off after college one to like restore my home harm hormone levels. Um, yeah, and I took seven months completely off and I ate so much food during that time. Yes. And then it came naturally. <laughs> yes, exactly. After 22 um, years. So I know I get so many DMs, especially because I posted a whole video on my YouTube channel about it after I got it. Yeah. I got so many people asking me questions about it. And it's it is so individual. And I always recommend going to a doctor as well. Cause I was going to a doctor yeah. all throughout like that time frame, I guess, from 17 to when I graduated college and everything. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's just so individual, but that's what I always prescribe to people from personal standpoint, rest and eat whatever you want with no restrictions. And it worked for me. So yes. yes. And, and really, if you can, and this is of course a personal choice too, depending on what you have going on in your life, but hormonal birth control can really mask a missing cycle. And so if you can avoid utilizing that during that time, so you know that it's coming back natural, that would really be ideal. But again, that's a very personal decision. Um, but just something I've seen is a lot of missing cycles are, are covered up by taking hormonal birth control. Definitely. And that's why I was like, I didn't want to go on birth control. Obviously that was an option for me the whole time, but I was like, I want to align my body naturally yes, so that I can make sure that I'm healthy and getting it normally before I decide to go on any form of birth control. So again, it's like you said, it's a very personal decision decision. But for me, since I didn't get it for so many years, I was like, I got to make sure we're all good. You know, it's been 22 years. What's up, you know? And it took seven months. And I mean, it wasn't really hard for me because I was like pretty burnt out after college in terms of sport and everything. And I kind of just, I had been working out and competing for so many years of my life. It felt pretty good to take the break, honestly. And I know a lot of people don't feel the same way. Maybe they're really antsy to get back to sport and they don't want to take a bunch of time off, but I don't regret it at all. Like taking those seven months off. And then now I have a fully regular period, which I can, which is kind of mesmerizing to me every time it comes every month. I'm like, this is like so weird. It's so bizarre. It's still pretty new, but Right. Yeah. It it felt really good though. When I got it naturally for the first time, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm doing something right. You know? So, oh, it indicates so much about our health. Um, and I was with you, I burned out. And so I was, I was fine post (laughs) post sport, not being as active. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And that's like my main goal when I get back into running, like I I'll race again, you know, eventually down the road, how competitively I want to down the road. But one of my main goals is to like keep my period the whole time throughout the whole process. And my body is obviously very sensitive to exercise and everything. And I haven't ramped up to 50 miles a week yet, but that is my, one of my main goals is to keep the period because it's like you said, it's such an indicator of health. I'm like, I want to do, I want to be healthy, you know, now that I've got it and it's regular. Yeah. I want to try and keep it that way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
Um, okay. What's so a lot of people ask questions on metabolism. So like, what are the effects of halting training or I guess like minimizing training on metabolism, I guess, after college? You know, it's going to be very minimal actually. Um, and as long as you're continuing to fuel yourself well, that's going to be most important because our metabolism is most impacted one by our hormones. So that's a big piece of it. Um, two by our lean body mass percentage. And so lean body mass obviously, um, is going to utilize more energy at rest than non-lean body mass. Um, but then the, the other thing is when we drastically adjust our energy intake, our metabolism adjusts with it. Um, and so the biggest thing that you're going to want to do is you're going to want to, you know, continue to move in a respectful way for your body. It doesn't have to be intense, but continuing adequate, consistent energy intake is the best way to keep your metabolism, um, you know, at its normal pace. Um, that would be the biggest thing. I think the biggest mistake I see a lot of athletes make is they retire and they stop eating or they cut back significantly. And that reduces their resting energy expenditure out of survival. And now they're scrambling because their metabolism is not able to keep up with them. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like metabolism is such like a weird word that people talk about all the time and just changing metabolism. So I'm like, how much does your metabolism actually change over the course of, from being like, I guess, 18 to, you know, 30, not, I feel like not that much. It's just, I feel like physical activity is what changes the most in terms of adults. Yes. So it's just kind of, I guess, adjusting to that more than like changing metabolism. Exactly. And, and your metabolism is really your resting energy expenditure. So you have total energy expenditure, which includes your exercise, your activities of daily living, your thermic effect of food, all of that. Then you have your resting energy expenditure. And that's basically just what your body exerts in order to keep itself alive. And that is your metabolism itself. And that does not really change a ton. Um, again, hormones could be a really big impact there. Um, and then also um, you know, lean body mass, body composition does impact it. We can't, we can't ignore that, but it's really not that drastic. You would have to have some drastic changes to see a huge shift in metabolism. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Okay. I have a few questions left. So thoughts on a plant-based diet. So first we have to define plant-based, which is just focusing on consuming plants. You can still eat meat. If they're talking vegetarian or vegan, it can be done. Just make sure one, that's a time that you want to supplement with, um, vitamin B12 because you can only get that through food. I am pro plants. Like if you want to include more plants in your day-to-day -day eats, let's do it. But I don't think we have to do it at the sacrifice of other foods or cut down or cut out other things in order to support plant-based eating. Like, what are your thoughts on, what was that documentary that came out a couple of years ago? Do you remember it was, uh, with all the athletes in it? Oh, oh yes. It was just a couple of years ago. It was like two years ago. I don't remember, but it was a fully like advocating for a vegan diet. And yeah. I feel like that just changed people's opinion on like a vegan diet and just going fully vegan. Yeah. And you know, if you want to do it from like a, um, like a, animal rights standpoint, like I'm totally here for that from, from a health standpoint, there's not, it doesn't have enough legs to stand on. Okay. Because especially for like women or um, females, we have to have iron vegan diets can be pretty low in iron. So now you have to supplement with an iron supplement. Um, same thing with proteins. Like you have to be very diligent with making sure you're having complementary proteins to get all essential amino acids because plants don't have all essential amino acids unless they're combined. 
it's possible, but I would say that it's not healthier. And that's the, that's kind of the moralistic hierarchy that the, the documentary was kind of preaching. Um, there are benefits to including more plants. Let's eat more plants, but you don't have to be solely vegan to be healthy. Yeah. I felt, I definitely feel, like, feel the best when I just have a balanced diet of everything. I think yes. I, I mean, I was pretty plant-based, especially when I was competing. I wasn't fully vegan at all. I ate meat and eggs and everything, but I just incorporated so many plants Yeah, when I was training and everything. And I, I haven't done the best at doing that, honestly, <laughs> but I felt so good on that. I'm just like having no restrictions, but then also focusing more just like on eating more plant-based foods helped me feel a lot better, but then definitely not restricting. Like I loved chicken every night. So, (laughs) but it it made me feel so good, like mentally and physically not to have any restriction on myself too. I feel like, I don't know, especially as like a college student, it's just would have been way too difficult. I think, especially with traveling all the time to be fully vegan, I guess. And because you only have so many options as a college student. So I don't know. I just felt best on a balanced diet, but I definitely, it can definitely be done like a good vegan diet. It just takes a lot more time to like, think about how you're getting all the nutrients in that you need. Yes. A lot more intention. Um, it's definitely possible, but again, it doesn't, you don't have to be vegan to be healthy. Um, and eating more plants because it makes you feel good. Like that's, that's my gentle nutrition piece. Like I always feel better when I eat more plants. And so I do incorporate as many as I can, um, in my day, just from a feel good standpoint. Mm-hmm. What's like your favorite meal to make? Oh, taco salad. A hundred percent. Taco salads are super good. Love it. Just made it actually just made it last night. And so I do use ground beef, but I love doing the lettuce, tomatoes, black olives, avocado, um, cheese, chips. Oh, so good. That sounds so good right now. I'm, it's like 6 PM. I'm actually about to go to the dance class. So I can't eat dinner, but oh. yeah, until after, but I might have to make a taco salad. I might stop at the grocery store on the way home, honestly, to get a taco salad or make oh, get ingredients for one. That sounds so good. That sounds so good. I was like debating. I already ate. I like ate my tofu for lunch that I had earlier. And I I have ground beef in my freezer. So I'm going to let it thaw out. You just made my decision for dinner. That made it very. I love it. (laughs) That was a personal question. I just actually needed a dinner recommendation. There you go. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, the last question I have for you is, do you have like, what's your biggest piece of advice for a person that is about to transition out of competitive sports? Oh, this might sound really cliche, but I just wish that I would have taken this advice. Um, give yourself a lot more grace than you feel like you deserve because there are so many changes happening. Literally your entire life just changed. And so give yourself the grace to walk through the emotions, give yourself the space to have that period of mourning. Um, and also give yourself the space to dream because now you have so much opportunity. Um, it can be overwhelming, but also really exciting. And so balancing out that overwhelm with that excitement and also the, the space to process those emotions, um, and feel free to lean on communities. Cause there are so many communities out there. You don't have to walk it alone. Yeah. Well, you have a good community online. I follow <laughs> it on my food Instagram. Where can people follow you? Can they work with you? Are you accepting new clients? What's, yes. what's your vibe? Yes. So, um, you can follow me at fueling former athletes, fueling.former.athletes on Instagram and TikTok. TikTok game's a little weak, but we're, we're there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's where I hang out most often. You can also check out my website, spottastrongnutrition.com. Um, but feel free to send me a DM. I'm currently accepting one-to-one clients. I usually open up spots three to four times a year. And then same with group coaching. 
I have an ebook and um, I'll drop a little a little teaser. I'm going to have a, a new exciting offer that's going to be a little bit more self-paced, but also hands-on coming out soon. So stay tuned for that. Well, we're all excited. Thank you so much for coming on. I feel like this was, I love just talking about this sort of topic because it's so relevant to my life yeah. and I'm sure it's relevant to a lot of like other people's or people that are going to be approaching adult life or life after competitive sports. So I appreciate you coming on and taking the time to chat. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Emma. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Commas Over Cold Brew. I hope you enjoyed it. I've been really loving branching out, I guess, of the running world a little bit, I guess, in terms of my podcast content. And I hope you guys have too. Don't forget to DM me any guest recommendations that you have. I'm always looking to branch out. So I love hearing from you all. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. If you love the podcast, it helps me out so much. And it's a free way to support And it just means the world. Honestly, I just love reading your reviews on Apple Podcasts. It makes my day. Follow us on Instagram at Combos Over Cold Brew Pod if you want to be up to date on the latest episodes and submit listener questions. And I will catch you guys back here next Friday, actually, because next Thursday is Thanksgiving. So I'm posting an episode next Friday. So stay tuned for that. And I will see you then. Peace out, fellas.